0: you want to know what yes one of the things that I actually and i do want people to like and subscribe our page and share it with your friends I yeah for sure. sure it's uh important and special and just fun in general but another thing that i kind of wanted to forge is, is that i want people to like and subscribe so me and andrew can maybe start to think about going live with this when we have the opportunity to to get more interactive The fun thing about building something out on YouTube isn't just like loving the content that you're doing, but it's the opportunity for interaction. Interactions only going to happen with growth.
1: So today we're doing um, two songs about change, actually, which is good for, I guess, the beginning of a school year. Um, Tupac's song, Changes, and a song by a band called Rush called Circumstances. And so, yeah, let's let's get into it a little bit. I I think think this is going to be an interesting conversation.
0: I do, too. Um, where do you want to start?
1: Um, we start with Pac. Pac's pages on top of my little stack here.
0: Okay. This is, um, quite frankly, this is the Tupac that I love that I want to be remembered and that I think should be remembered. Okay. Like, um, one of the beautiful things about Tupac, the artist, mm-hmm. and the person, very, very multifaceted, uh, not all of it always. Positive, right? But the uh, the part of him that cares mm-hmm. about common man, the part of him that cares about his community and his culture specifically, the part of him that's a philosopher.
1: Yeah, this is definitely a philosophical song for sure. Right,
0: the, the part of him, that, and he's highly philosophical.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's actually one of our better philosophers, like coming out of Black culture, like period if you actually listen to the words that he has espoused over the duration of his brief tenure. The whole rose
1: and concrete thing, yeah, man.
0: Yeah, the whole rose and concrete thing, yeah. Like, his perspective is very much that. It's very apropos that there was a book of his poetry released under that name. I actually love that they did that. That Mm -hmm. was one of the uh, few posthumous things that uh, I truly enjoyed that was done in honor of him. But this is the Tupac that everybody fell in love with, too, I believe, before the incarceration, the trial, the shooting, and so this is, you know, this is the guy that wrote Dear Mama, you know, yep. so many tears. Uh, and keep your head, head up. up. Yep. Yeah, th- th- this is that guy. But and, and and one of the most powerful things about him, and you see it in this record, is, is that you can tell that he doesn't have the answers to the yep. questions that he's asking. But he also, and I said this, I believe, before about him, and I think I may have said it on a to hip hop and maybe not here, but... He makes you feel like even though he doesn't know what the changes should be, he has the power to help incite the change just because he literally, some people just have it, that persona, that place, that voice that people listen to. And so what you hear on this song is, is that, well, this is the type of song that Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole were born off of. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like <clears throat> he, he opened that whole lane up of what they do. This record is one of those things. It's a moniker of that. And it's kind of it's kind of beautiful because, in a way, it's very much more well-written than a lot of his best stuff. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of his most notable stuff. This is actually one of his best. This, this is the writer that I'm talking about. That is the like, writing, we'll but,
1: talk about that later, but the writing is really intricate.
0: That, that's what I mean is, is like, well, when people are like, well, he's not a lyricist, it's like, it can well... Be well well from the technical writing aspect superior to almost anybody who's ever picked up a mic this is prime example type of stuff Mm -hmm. because this is a i mean you're 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 an english teacher Mm -hmm. i mean you you you, know (laughs) what this is like 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 i
1: I don't i didn't want to i didn't necessarily think we're gonna get into this immediately but like the the word for it or one of the words for it is assonance where you're rhyming or you're echoing the vowel sounds within the words, yes. but like the, that I see no changes. All I see is racist spaces misplaced. Hey, makes disgraced races. I wonder what it takes to make this one better place. Let's erase the waste. Like oh, I counted, there were like, like 14 or so in those okay. four bars, like it's okay. nuts.
0: Okay. So let, no, I, this is the part of it. I actually want to get into because, you know, I think his rhetoric because of his straightforward approach and style is something that kind of speaks for itself in a sense i want to speak into the more nuances of things that he's doing on this record so the assonance that you're talking about Mm -hmm. like i mean so you know explain from an english perspective what assonance consonants and dissonance is
1: okay i think you're thinking of alliteration assonance and consonants um which which is fine um alliteration is is doing like the same first consonant yes, sounds exactly. like peter piper picked yeah. a peck a pickle like yes. b- 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 yes. at the beginning yes alliteration yes. um um assonance is what we just talked about all those a's changes racist faces m- misplaced hate makes disgrace to races the, all those a sounds that's assonance um yeah. and consonance is consonance not nts but yeah. consonance <laughs> with <laughs> a ce at the end yes um Is echoing the um echoing consonant sounds at the end of words. So to have a rhyme, you have to have assonance and consonance because for a rhyme, you have to echo the vowel sound and the closing consonant sound. So the s and like racist faces is consonants
0: and assonance because there's a
1: s and that a.
0: Okay, so has a writer and and also too this is a time thing too where Tupac is important i don't there've probably been people there've been people that have um surpassed him since then mm-hmm. but at the time nobody ever put those literary things together the way that he did and that's why when people are like well he's not a lyricist it's like well technically he's actually superior because He actually, all the alliteration, the consonants, the assonants, well, nobody did it in blending it as well as naturally. On one of his more popular songs with Snoop Dogg, two of America's most wanted, he starts off, picture perfect, I paint a perfect picture. Mm Bama hoochie with precision, my intentions to get with her. With the S and double O P, dog my fucking homie, I'm thinking to myself, did you just like spell it out and still use? Yeah, the-
1: you, you, you did. You did. And, and you did. Yeah. See,
0: you see, I dropped my text when I said that. It's like, well, who's doing that? Who's spelling out the consonants and the assonants and making it rhyme on the next scheme and entendre while using alliteration? That is lyrically supreme type of stuff. Yes. <laughs> and much like this start that you named off, oh, well, he does that in a four bar sequeter to start off that song.
1: That, that the is, ones, the ones that I just quoted were the beginning of a verse
0: too. Like no, so, so no. This is what I mean about how he's one of the most fundamentally, if not the most fundamentally sound sound, uh, sound writer ever. He usually starts off all of his songs in four bar tangents where the use of literary devices or or whatever you would want to uh, a, a phrase them as is high. Mm-hmm. He also he's uses, not writer. to get into
1: it too deep, but he, does, he uses parallel structure too because he, he starts all of the verses with I see no changes, all I see is blah, blah, yes. blah, blah. blah. Like, that's parallel talk- structure too.
0: Yes. No, no, no. As in, like, that's what I mean. He's a writer. He's a real writer. He's yeah. not. I hate to say it. <clears throat> okay, I'm probably going to have this conversation on According to Hip Hop too. He's often compared to from his era um, Jay-Z and Nas and Biggie obviously right okay like Nas is not as technically sound as a writer okay even though his verbiage his vocabulary is better okay his vocabulary is better his writing's not necessarily better from okay. the term of you as an english teacher would look at it if you were to look at what tupac writes on paper versus what Nas writes on okay. paper jay-z and Biggie are not in that conversation as technical writers, even though Jay-Z uses a lot of literary devices that people talk about. Yeah. It's something that's more unique to the craft of rhyming than writing. Okay. What he does. Biggie is the guy that makes you feel like, no, this guy needed to make it rapping. You know? Okay. Tupac is the guy that makes you feel like it's like, no, he could have just been a writer or a poet and would have been just as successful.
1: I mean, he was an actor. He, I mean, he was like the um, the guy that did all of the things, right? I mean, not that, not that those other guys didn't do other things too, but like Tupac was an actor before he hit, right? Like, or, or he appeared in a, Above the Rim before that, or no,
0: did he? No, above, uh, above, above the Rim is after Juice, but okay. most Tupacalypse now is 1991, and so is Juice. Okay. So it's, I, I all, know it was
1: early, early. Yeah. yeah so it's,
0: it's, th- like like his style, it's blending a lot of things together. He's literally mm-hmm. rapping and acting and it's blowing up at the same time. I think the acting may supersede the rapping by three to six months in terms of, okay. I think Juice came out before Tupacalypse Now came in. I okay. think. But I'm not certain of that. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure
1: they lined it up so they both came out about the same time. If they're doing marketing stuff, I would imagine that that's...
0: I don't even think hip-hop was in a place where they understood that level of marketing on that oh, level. For real. Because here's what, cause here's what I mean is, is that we will like, Tupac's an aspiring actor and he's got the lead role in juice but the lead song is Juice know the Ledge by Eric B and Rock because Rock is still the greatest MC of all time it's 1991 you want Rock to start right but here's here's also too what Tupac is excellent at and this is where he gravitates in this community whether and we can get into the technical factuality of some of these things it's factuality of work yeah ha awesome. We can get to actual factuality of some of these things. But listen to what he says. These these are the things that resonate in the black community where he connects in a way that very few do very much on a um, Chuck B or Ice Cube level. Listen to this. Hold the trigger, kill a nigga. He's a hero. Give the crack to the kids. Who the hell cares? One less hungry mouth on the welfare. This is the stuff that when we as blacks hear it, it confirms the suspicion mm. that we feel is reality that some evidence has been uncovered as reality because Tupac, because of the time he was born, is what we would call an '80s crack baby. Okay, he saw the crack epidemic and the Reaganomics and the Reagan era. Okay, okay. yeah, and so like that firsthand. firsthand growing up in it, yeah, he's
1: super- directly to that in your mama too. We'll talk about that later, but like in a different
0: mm. no, it's the the, the crack. And the destruction of the black community via crack is actually one of his. um, It's it's one of his top five talking points, actually, if you go if you were to go through his material, especially the stuff before he signs to death row. Oh, he's touching on that. He comes from a family of black panthers. And so you see the Black Panther tie, because here it goes. Two shots in the dark. Now, Huey's dead. dead. Yep. So. He's like it's almost those like of if you he, don't know that's
1: Huey Newton, who was one of the founder of Black Panthers, just right. Co-founder. I assume most of the people watching this know that, but just in case,
0: no, I've n- never assumed that co-founder of the Black Panther Party with Bobby Seals, Cor- correct? So he's touching on the things that the Black community that he's seen growing up as a young man, but he also comes from a Black Panther family, so there's a lot of Black Panther rhetoric. So you find a lot of who Tupac is, like just by and, and listen to this. You don't have to hear it on the news. You don't have to go to a blog or anything. Finding out about Tupac was as simple and easy as listening to his music. And that's why I wanted to highlight. He touches on so many points about his growing up, the things that he's seen in the Black community, his background as a Black Panther. It's consistent. On Hail Mary, that hook comes from him riding around L.A. with a Black Panther one day. Do you want to ride or die? They used to go mm. la da la. That comes from him hanging out with a Black Panther oh, one day. Okay. He's consistent. Like, I didn't know themes. that song from the
1: name, but when you sang it right there, I was like, oh, yeah, I, Mar- I have heard that. Yeah,
0: Yeah, Hail Mary. Like that came from a Black Panther place, the hook did, you know? Okay. So he's consistent with his themes and his, and his archetypes and his motifs about the Black community and about the Black diaspora. You know, the experience mm. of it, the positive and the negative of it, because he talks about how brilliant we are. But he also talks about how messed up it are. But he also talks about the conspiracy theories at the time. you got to look at it from the perspective. In the 90s, these things were considered to be conspiracies and not totally factual. People were treating us in the Black community like we had kind of done this to ourselves. Mm-hmm.
1: And not it, not that it's a setup. Yeah.
0: yeah, not that it's a setup. So <clears throat> I think um, another thing about Tupac, and this is the duality, and this might be the strongest... Uh, Part where he says um, it takes skill to be real time to heal each other yep that's that's the part where you fall in love with tupac because yep. you realize through all his duress he still wants what's best for his community
1: yeah it is it, i wrote this i actually was i wanted want
0: on this piece of paper
1: go ahead and say what you're saying
0: no because i want when we do songs like this I want to get into your notes more because there's literally so many places for me to go as a fan, I mean, a, yeah. as a black like, man. See, like most of my
1: the- notes are like come up to here. This one's, yeah, full up. No, and, small no. Text
0: and, I, too. I, and I wanted to get into those things because especially when you're dealing with Tupac, there's so many places that I could take it. And so like, I would like your notes to be like a healthier, like navigation guide because I can do this all day. Like I could literally yeah. do this all
1: day. Yeah, yeah. T- Tupac uh, is, is dense. Yeah, uh, much more dense actually than he gets credit for like you said earlier Um, i actually wrote the sentence also i think of this as a black panther song like that i actually wrote that down on the thing and we're talking about huey newton too but we already talked about that um i love the contrast though because um there's a lot of um one of the black panthers ideologies is about fighting back right i mean you see that throughout um the song, um, but the, we got to be real to each other, heal each other. That's that's a kind of a hippie ish kind of thing. Like, I mean, it's it's not bad, it's just it's so he well, he's we, a product, we say of the- like you felt not you, but like people fell in love with Tupac. It's like there's a contrast there. There's a yes. he, he he contains multitudes, he's not just this, um, he's not he came up in the Black Panther world, but he also is not just that there's way more to him than that is what i'm trying mm-hmm. to say maybe i didn't say it that clearly the first time but
0: no okay so let's touch on a few things first of all the black panthers are happening in <clears throat> in northern california specifically right. you know what i mean i mean just in california period specifically around the same time that that whole hippie movement is coming on. Right. So when you're a spouse, so, so Berkeley,
1: that... Oakland, I mean, that's the same basic. Yes. Place, it's, it's yeah. the,
0: the, the movement, the, the hippie movement is going on in the same place that the, the, the yeah, that the black Panther movement is going on yeah. in. And so there is a part of, that's what I mean is like, he's a little bit of everything. It's like, well, he knows how to speak to the person that wants peace. He knows how to speak to the street dude. He knows how to speak, as a politician, like, listen to this political line, because both black and white are smoking crack tonight. Yep, That's something that somebody says when they're running for president. Like, he, yeah. he's multifaceted, like, we yeah. keep going, and that's what I mean. It's like, well, let's go into your notes because we can go all day about how multifaceted and talented this man is just by breaking down some of the lines. Because it's like, line to line, you start seeing his talent, and this is what I mean. He's one of those guys, well, he was a sponge for his environment.
1: Yeah. You can, you can tell that, like, if, even if I knew nothing about Tupac just listening to the song. You can you can hear that.
0: Yeah, he's a big sponge for his environment. And so that's what makes him so real to people. He's really just spitting out what he soaked up, literally. It's like he soaked it up and spit it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what you get, and that's why you get the passion. And that's why you get the pain. That's why you get the hurt. It's like, no, when he's rapping, it really sounds like this is bothering him. That's different. You mm-hmm. know, like like Chuck B and Ice Cube sounded pissed off he touched another nerve he sounded hurt like he was pissed off and he was hurt yeah you know we like listen to how he goes rat tap 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 that's the way it is yeah you know what i mean he's saying it sad like damn like it's not supposed to be that way like chuck and ice cube said stuff like that but they didn't say it in a manner that made you think about it in a somber way in a reflective right. way they made you want to go join farrakhan or the black panthers or go pull. <laughs> reginald Dennity out of his truck and hit him with a brick during the riots like that's what they made you want to do about the injustice Pac made you think about the injustice Pac made you sad about the injustice yeah you know like like fight the power to me is still the best rap song ever uh-huh. in my opinion right but it pisses you off and hypes you up more than it makes you yep. think you know what I mean? Even though the rhetoric is strong, it's Chuck D we're talking about, so it's not like he's lacking anything. No, it's uh, powerful. So. It's super powerful, but it's more it, it's more it's more riot music and anthem than it is like thoughtful and provoking and somber. But you get both of those with pop. Yep.
1: Yeah. And and right before the lines use the rat-tat-tat, which is the last, then for those of you who don't know, you need to go listen to the song. Um, the end of the last verse, um, is He's saying like you've got to be. I- I'm badly butchering this, but it's something like you got to watch for all the people coming back after you. Like some somebody he jacked some up some young buck little. that you
0: roughed up way back. Yeah, yeah. So but that he, he only, he's the the this
1: this I think adds to that. Just occurs to me like um this adds to his legend too because he is both both he and Biggie are sort of predicted their own deaths. Yes. And so and so like, like he uh, uh, like and either we don't at least the wider culture doesn't know who killed Tupac or he or the, whatever I mean there's obviously thousands of conspiracies about this but we don't necessarily need to get into but from from a distance it looks like that that's what happened to him like that somebody. Came back from his youth, maybe, and and got him. Like I don't know, but like that
0: you want to know. I've never actually thought of that till you said that that there, there's a retaliatory mode that comes with you know inner city living in black communities, mm-hmm. and especially in California because of gang culture and gang life. Super retaliatory at times. See this in like...
1: like mob movies too. Like I mean, it's the same. It's not the same, but like the idea of somebody coming back that you wronged like 25 years ago and yes. snatching you up later, like, or my no, dad that... was blah, 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 whatever. Well,
0: you know, you know, that was a thing too. So even look at it like this, I can remember, um, E 40 talking about the first time he recorded a song with Tupac. E 40 is one of the legendary rappers out of the Bay area. The Bay, yeah. He's actually one of the first guys to really be up on game in Cali. Like he precedes a lot of guys, um, mm-hmm. You'll actually see him courtside a lot at the, at the Golden State games. Warrior yeah. games. That's now. where I know.
1: That's where I'd heard of him first from.
0: No. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Forty's tight. I like forty. I've always liked forty. Um, he talks about how when they met, forty had to take his two. I think he said he had two blocks or it was two nines or whatever. And he mm-hmm. two block nine. It might have been two block nine, and sat him down. You know, what I mean, so he could write. And Pac came in and actually did the same thing. And and they were both, like, sitting down. It was either a table on the floor, like, with their pistols down right there, you know, because Pac was talking about, like, somebody, you know what I'm saying, and how right. he had to roll. And, I mean, so, it's real. It was like that. You know what I mean? So, there are even stories of Pac, like, walking in the studio off the streets, you know, taking his pistols out, boom, having to sit on, the, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also understand, too, and because he's so larger than life, Pac is smaller than me and you. Pac's about 5'7", 155, 165. And yeah, he
1: didn't look like a big dude.
0: Not a big guy about five seven, 165. yeah like like I mean we've I, how tall are you
1: five ten nine ten yeah I feel
0: like because you and I are about the same height like yeah. we're we're almost a few inches. we're pretty much a few inches taller than puck mm. no I mean right so
1: you also he, look at I it don't from, say he's intimidating I, but like he does have that
0: yeah, it's a persona thats bigger persona than what he that is. you're like well you know this is what I mean the inner city will do that to you when you're a smaller person. You know, like, I mean, not being funny, I'm not comparing myself to Tupac in any way, but when I walk in a room, people are like, am I like you walking, you talking, you act like you're six foot two, six foot three. Well, I kind of had to sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You feel me? There's kind of a yeah. moniker that comes with it, but there's also the reality of your safety being in danger when you're smaller. You know what I mean? Like okay. E-40, not small dude. You know what I'm saying? Pac was. You know what I mean? So yeah. he's rolling a certain type of way, and he's expressing that in his music as well.
1: You know? And these are the other guys that they're rolling, like Suge Knight, for example, is that's a that's a big dude right there
0: big dude i mean dre's a big dude you know what yeah. i'm saying dre's about six one about 200 something that yeah was before he started I mean, lifting he's solid weights. yeah that was before he started lifting weights he was like six feet six one two something yeah. you know what i'm saying before like he started bodybuilding like he wasn't a small dude mm-hmm. yeah ice cubes not a small dude ice cubes about uh our height and bigger than us you know what i'm saying physically stature wise yeah so you know people don't think about that when they think about how some of these guys talk tough it's like some of these smaller guys got to talk tougher actually carry more heat yeah okay. yeah like because physically could be imposing it's like uh <clears throat> tupac would not want to fight the game one-on-one you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying the game mm-hmm. is six five and, and and you know what yeah. I mean? and there are and dudes like that in cali that have been the prison like game that are built look different <clears throat> like you know those scenes where you know it's kind of funny you want to know those cali things it's real that i seen from when i was out there you know when they show the guys like that, that are like sitting on the workout bench out on the front lawn and yep. the gang no, that shit real. Mm. Yeah, brothers maxing out on the front lawn and stuff, getting swole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's part of the culture. So he touches a lot. And specifically why the West Coast love him. This feels even like even the stuff that he's speaking to. First of all, when you're talking you, that's going to resonate more on the West Coast because that's where it starts. Yeah. So he's talking like a California dude, even though he's really from the East Coast. Right. Right. I want to get back to some more of your notes because this is what I mean. I can keep riffing for days. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um... One of the other things that I noticed as I listened to this, I mean, I've, this is a song that I've known for a long time. Obviously, um, this, this is one of those that definitely penetrated the wider culture. Like the, this, oh, like, that's um, amazing. The, the the three song, the three songs, like I mean, the the three, and there are the three that we'll cover, or at least three of them we will cover um, on here. Or dear mama, and keep your head up, and changes. Those are the three that kind of crossed the line. I mean, I know about hit them up, like I know about, but those are ones that like I had to like go research myself as opposed to like those three have like, like those, those are ones that I'd known for a while. Um, One of the first things though, that I noticed as I started listening to this closely is that it feels, maybe it's not actually faster than most hip hop songs, but it, it feels like the beat's faster. Like, I, I don't know, maybe it's not, I don't know. But like, I wrote, I wrote it's not quite frantic, but he's going a little faster to keep up. And and I think that adds to the, like, the intensity of what he's saying.
0: Okay, so <clears throat> for Tupac, this song is definitely a lot faster. Yeah, He is a more throaty stretch, the consonants
1: mm-hmm.
0: with a T. Yeah. In vows of his words as he is rapping. Okay. Come with me. Mm. Hail Mary. One quick seat. He's more likely to do okay. that. And so you'll find him rapping over beats like that more often. Okay. I think that this beat was literally made to cross over to people like you. Yeah. I personally, I love the writing of this record. This isn't even one of my probably favorite 15 Tupac records. All right. So this song itself in our community is probably more important to his overall legacy than it is in this community. Okay. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. Say more. Some of And some of that is the beat is a little bit more accessible and pop-friendly mm-hmm. and faster than most of his classic stuff if you go listen to it. And they have um,
1: singable hooks too. I'm like that's just the right, idea. right. I mean, you have to. That's that's a that big, too. that's
0: the big, big part. Because I'll tell you what, he has another record that's very comparable to this called "I Wonder If Heaven Got a Ghetto." Pace wise and BPMs wise, mm-hmm. it's very comparable. Okay, but it feels more like the raw Tupac, not the formulate Tupac. There's some formula to this record, like on "If I Wonder If Heaven Got a Ghetto," he says like, "And Bush can't stop the hit. I predicted the shit." Into apocalypse, like on my first album, I predicted that Bush wasn't going to be able to stop that that whole desert storm thing, like he said, he was, right. which he did, if you actually go back and listen. But on that song, it's like, well, the hook just goes, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. And there's just a girl going mm-hmm, and just kind of singing. It just feels like a little bit more not for radio. You know, right. this feels yeah, like sure. this is the, this is the power that be putting Tupac out on radio. You know what I mean?
1: And, and those three songs well, Dear Mama doesn't have... Does Dear Mama have a sing-along hook, too?
0: I mean, yes. But that's what I mean. Formula-wise, that was more into the style of what he was doing. The song yeah. is very somber. The melody yeah. is very slow. And,
1: and we're, I don't want to get into that one too much, because we'll have a whole other episode on Dear And Mama. the
0: sample's more soulful, just to be honest. The right. sample's way more soulful. Like, and, then, wait. and
1: obviously, Keep Your Head up Scott got a singing hook, too, right? Obviously. So obviously. that seems to be... And we, we talked about this a hundred times. Like, when you're looking for or when I'm looking for hip hop songs that have crossed over one of the things, not all of them have, but many of them have is something you can sing along to too. And I think right. that I think, and we'll talk about this actually when we get to um, the uh, second song too, but that, um
0: right. So, okay. Well, so like the Dave
1: Chappelle, like, I don't know if you've seen, I know you've seen Chappelle show, but I don't know if people watching this have seen the Chappelle show sketch um, with John Mayer in it, where they go to the shop and he's playing guitar. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Oh, yeah, so where it's like, like black people rhythm. like
1: drums and black yes, people like keyboards people like and the, you know, white people like guitars. Yeah, so it, it feels kind of like, like it, that. So like putting the melody like, in it like that does it does the I don't want to say it does white people's ears like that, but like that's what it kind of perks. It, it, it seems to be a common thread of a lot of the songs that crossed over, I guess
0: it is so this is one thing that i wanted to do too when i when i pull it up is is that i wanted to see when it came out because i knew it was a posthumous song and this is what i mean it's put together by the masses like oh i didn't know that yes this is posthumous i didn't know that okay i just wanted to see how posthumous it was because pop died in 96 okay right so this is getting released in october of
1: 1998 oh wow that's way late. like too late two years
0: Yes, so what I would try to uh, submit to you with that is is that a I don't know if Pac ever lets the sea light a day, mm. but because because if I wonder if Heaven Got a Ghetto was the B side to something, mm-hmm. and this song theme wise is similar to that, and Pac was always the type of guy that was fresh and creating new things, right? Somebody heard somebody from Interscope heard the brilliance of what he was rapping and was able to put it together afterwards into okay. this. But he wouldn't have taken that beat and that hook. And oh, that's okay. why it really doesn't resonate in the black community like that.
1: I see what you're it's saying. It's not
0: even about the posthumous nature of it, mm-hmm. it has more to do with how it was done in its posthumous nature. If that makes okay. sense.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, a lot of his posthumous stuff resonated more outside of his core audience than with the core audience, but also, too, he left a ton of classic shit for his core audience, like a ton. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was no need for us to really want to hear changes. Two years after he died, we were still playing Machiavelli and All Eyes on Me. Yeah. Yeah. So, changes was kind of like, I mean, I hate to say it wasn't for your people. It was for purchase and for sale, though.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was. Yeah. I, I mean, from what you're saying, I'm saying that mirroring back what you said, it's not something that I knew beforehand, but.
0: Right. And, 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 and but doesn't take away from any of the brilliance that we're talking it's about. It's still a really writing. good song. Because the brilliance of the writing is why they picked it up and did what they did to it. They heard what he was saying and they're like, oh my God, yeah. like this guy's a genius.
1: And this is. It's like all—I mean, I don't get into Prince's vault stuff, but like, it's like stuff that you know that he's got b- buried away that we'll never
0: hear. But yeah, I wanted to get back into some more of to notes because uh, there's just there's a lot of places to go with this song. I don't, I, you know, we probably should have started off discussing the posthumous aspect of it. I just get so excited when I'm talking about Tupac. I have a tendency, and this is the writer in me. You know, he's I, <clears throat> this is one of those things that you don't realize till you're older too. He's one of my biggest inspirations as a writer. Okay. He is. And I didn't realize it until I got older. A lot of my directive writing style comes from him. Like I have a direct writing style at times, mostly where I'm a direct
1: person generally,
0: right? I am. And that's where I relate to him, but he has a direct writing style that I feel like I've kind of like adopted some and tried to craft some of my style. And he's one of my inspirations, you know, I actually thought of you this weekend and we can jump into your notes after this. You know, when I yeah, thought sure. of you, um, it wasn't this weekend, this past Thursday, you know, at According to Hip Hop, we're doing some expansion and some growth okay. and we're bringing on a senior writer. Her name is Denim Muzon. I've known Denim's family. I've known her two older brothers for over 15 years now. Okay. She's 34, but she bought up, she was on a converse, uh, Zoom call with Mike and I, and she brought up Toni Morrison as an inspiration, as a writer. And when, when she well, said The greatest
1: that, ever, if not the greatest I, ever. I
0: thought of you. I mean, and it's funny too, because, you know, she named a couple other writers, but it feels like for all of us that are like over 25 and under 50, mm-hmm. she's the name that always gets mentioned, male or female, as yeah. the greatest writer. Because, I mean, think about it. This is a 34-year-old black woman from the Bronx. That thinks that she's one of the greatest. You're a 40 year old white guy from the suburbs of Charlotte. I'm from the inner city of Charlotte. You know what I'm saying? And yep. it's all like, no, no, She is. No. She is. She is
1: uh, not to go on too much of a tangent, but Toni Morrison, if if she's not the greatest writer to ever live, she's certainly in the in the rarefied air with Shakespeare and those like. She's like way, 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 way at the top. Like yeah, you he, can't. Not, again, not to go on too much of an English teacher tangent, but like at the beginning of Song of Solomon. Like there she, in the introduction, she writes like how in detail, like why she picked essentially every single fucking word on that first page, and it's just like how 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 do you do that? Like it's it's if yeah, it, it, guys, if you have not read Song, I mean, if you hadn't read the whole book, you should read the whole book too. But like, um, you can find online, I'm sure, a version of Song of Solomon and just read the introduction where she just where she describes like how she put together the beginning of the book and why she chose all of those details. It's, it's incredible. incredible. I
0: had to, you know, and you asked me this question and we can end the tangent here. You, you know, you told me that you thought she was the greatest writer ever. And I was like, Oh, I don't know about that. You know? I, and I'm like, you, know, I was like, well, up there, obviously you're like, you know what I mean? I'm not mm-hmm. saying that I was like, I'm not sure about it. And then I texted you back a couple of days later and I was like, Hey, I think <laughs> you're right. Because, you know, I just started going through some of my stuff. W.E.B. Ball is probably my favorite writer, Mm -hmm. personally. Right. I love um, what he says when he's writing. I love Langston Hughes' writing style. Yeah, me too. And then I thought to myself, well, she does both of those things and puts them in a book format that's actually entertaining, too. Well, what the fuck? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. she does those
1: things she does dialect she does, she does everything she does well see everything. that's
0: what I mean W.E.B. to me does dialect too but it's just a different type of dialect because of the subject matter right? you know what I mean yeah. her subject matter she knows how to do that she knows how to talk about the black condition in a sneaky manner without you know what I'm saying like all the other black writers are usually like look at this black condition look at yep. this black condition she, she is,
1: she's entertaining I'm not saying the others aren't entertaining but like, like the her. Per- it's not the same it's not it's not uh, the same
0: it's like uh she she's biggie she's just more versatile than all those other great ones are she's geez. just got more style than they do she just does she mm-hmm. just does she has more style than they do rest like, in
1: peace tony dr tony like you're you're yeah an inspiration yeah, still still are yeah, um yeah um she's gonna not, live she's oh gonna yeah live oh, for sure absolutely without yeah. question um, this is an actually interesting segue because um, I wrote a couple notes about um, James Baldwin on here too, who is another one of those people in that, in that, in that canon um, uh, up there with her. Um, one of the things that I think I've talked about this and actually probably the other Tupac episode too, where um, he has a, he has a book called notes of a native son, um, which is uh, obviously a callback to Richard Wright's um, native son novel. It's a series of essays and there's an essay in there about, his father's death um, called notes of a native son. Um, and it touches both on his relationship with his father and his relationship with like the larger American culture, um, mm-hmm. not to put too fine a point on it, but there are, there are several places that there's, there seem to be overlap in what he's saying. And he's, he he's writing about experiences. Baldwin is, um, the essay comes out i think 1955 um the the um experiences he's writing about are 1940s-ish like um so so it's um in new jersey mostly new jersey new york um and there's a scene that he writes about um that i thought about when when i listened to pox line i see no changes all i see is racist faces like there's a scene where he talks about where he got him, he was Baldwin says he got writes that he got himself in a lot of trouble a lot of the time because he mm-hmm. couldn't keep his mouth shut. Um, that, yeah. those are his words, not mine. Um, and um, one of the times he talks about like walking down the street after getting off of his factory job in New Jersey, yeah, and, and he, it feels mm-hmm. like all of the white faces are walking at him, or he's mm-hmm. like walking not the wrong way down the street, but he's walking he one way like and everybody else is walking,
0: walking. in antithesis with the way that they're coming. Yeah.
1: And he talks about, and, and that's in that scene. He, um, he feels like this rising, like hatred and anger. And like, he, he almost describes it as like feelings. He doesn't know what to do with. Like he's, there's just so much emotion. he can't like process it all. And I believe that the phrase he uses is he goes into a restaurant where he knows not even the intercession of the Virgin Mary will cause him to be served. And you know, this is in 1940s america so there's still segregation um and he um takes his anger out on the waitress there like she she comes in is like obviously she has been sent over to him like
0: mm-hmm.
1: um to say you know i'm sorry we don't serve people like you here um which is kind of a crappy thing on her boss's part to make her do it but because she, she asks him like what do you want or something like that and he says i want like a hamburger and a cup of coffee what do you think i want um and he ends up throwing um a coffee mug like at her and she kind of it misses her and like smashes on the mirror behind the bar and he, like that like snaps him out of his his reverie but there are lots of moments like that in the song where he's, he's Tupac is writing about the same kind of thing i think um, and the idea that he he ends this essay also with um, where he talks about life is always going to have something difficult in it. Um, and that because men are, so he doesn't use these words exactly, but men are you know, greedy and selfish and vengeful and stuff like that. Humans are. Um, so th- in those ways, things will always be the same. Like things are are never going to change as long as humans are, know like this but that doesn't mean we don't have to fight against it too like so you have to hold both of those ideas in your mind at the same time both that things probably aren't going to change and that you have to try to make them both at the same time and that's what the song is right like that's what what you're going on
0: it's a great expression of the dualities of what Tupac is seeing and has seen growing up, but what he still aspires to be, he's very inspirational for his generation, not to the same level, but it's very Dr. King-like in that mm-hmm. sense, in terms of the level of inspiration that right. his words provide at times. It's not to the same level, because I think people don't understand, because you, you, I thought about something when you said uh, James Baldwin, and I thought to myself, you know, James Baldwin's just – he was too slick at the mouth to be Dr. King because he thought <laughs> – Even he I, said
1: that he's too slick at the mouth. Like,
0: no, Baldwin well, no, himself no. said that. If you've, his, if you've seen his interviews and even how James Baldwin sits and positions himself in the way that he approaches somebody in debate form, it's like, no. The same thought and ideologies as Dr. King mm-hmm. It's funny enough, but the, the delivery – matters and there's something about tupac's delivery because of the passion and the pain and the thoughtful expression of it Mm -hmm. it resonates the way dr king's does because it's like that that excerpt that you're explaining from james baldwin this is like oh i know that expert but i think you know how i am about shit like that Mm -hmm. most people don't know that well but they know about dr king and and that's why i make it the contextualization it's like oh no 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 you know tupac because there are a lot of guys that thought like tupac but nobody expressed like tupac vocally Just like Dr. King, nobody spoke like that vocally within the black community to that level. Even if you want to go, you can go look at Malcolm X's interviews Mm -hmm. and debates. First of all, I think if you just want to go on an academic and intelligence level, he's smarter than Dr. King. Okay. But he's also fucking (laughs) scarier. Like he it's frightening to watch Malcolm X break down some of his white contemporary counterparts. Like it's frightening. It's like, oh yeah, he's scared of this. Big black motherfucker. He's this smart too. Like he's taking biblical ideology. Um, Can you imagine a Muslim man sitting in front of a Christian white man and taking his ideologies and ripping them apart from him on national television? Because that's what Malcolm X was like doing. And it's like, as a black man, it makes me smile, but I also understand. It's like, oh, but that wasn't going to go so far, right? Society's not going to let you. And Dr.
1: King is speaking the same language because he's a minister too, right? Like,
0: correct, correct. (laughs) And so, but he, but, but delivery and voice is everything. What I'm literally saying is well, when you listen to Dr. King's voice, it's a better speaking voice. And he doesn't have James Baldwin or Malcolm X's sharp tongue. It's more thoughtful and philosophical. Yeah, it is yeah. from the hills of Georgia where the hand of every little white girl and every little black. No, I mean James Baldwin is telling you it's like, man, I feel like I'm walking this way, and the white people are just going in the other direction, not paying me any fucking mind. They're like know? almost
1: like running into me, like, yeah.
0: Right. They're trying to run me over. And Dr. King's like, can we just walk down the street together? Yeah. And that's kind of some of what changes is. You know what I mean? It's some of both of those things. It's like some Malcolm X and some Dr. King in me. It's both sides of the game.
1: Yeah. And I think that's that's a good like circling point there. That that Tubak is one of those guys that that contains i think i said this before contains multitudes like he he can speak and you said this too that he can speak to both or both the hippie and to the street kid and he like he has his message reverberates with all of them because of the passion and the pain and because of i mean in the voice and like all of it like it touches all of those points
0: There's a reason that he was a touching point for all that parental advisory stuff. He was saying things that they didn't like him saying. It wasn't about bitch. It was about the crack era stuff, about the socioeconomic stuff, about telling people, no, they killed the government, killed Huey Newton. How about that like no that's where all that parental advisory stuff came from listen to the stuff that he's saying on this record no, i did <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying no no no. that's where the parental that's why that's why i see dolores tucker's you know literally and bob dole taking steamrollers over you know strictly for my niggas yeah because he was talking he was literally like no nah, he's like they put crack here i ran i rock contra it's a very very well-read guy you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm
1: yeah there's an interesting thing part and, and this kind i think transitions to he starts verses with i see no changes and then one of them he ends with but things change and that's just the way it is like he's he's even seeing both sides of the story within the same verse too
0: well, i mean
1: or am i full of
0: crap here no there's a lot of prophecy with pop you know there's a lot of prophecy with pop it's like listening to this song in 1998 i mean this this is i want to say this is strictly for my niggas and me against the world tupac so this song probably got written somewhere between 93 94 okay 95 ish he might have written it when he was locked up at rikers so it could have been 95 ish Mm -hmm. but the writing of it is early to mid 90s like post post desert storm okay but pre-death row just because of the writing style and the things That he's talking about. This is the Pac that loves his community. You know what I'm saying? Like Pac still loves his community after he signs with Death Row. But he's been to prison on a rape charge. He's been shot five times right before he went to prison. And then he gets out and he signs to Death Row. It's like, all bad, all bad, all bad. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we lose some of our community figure in there. So I know that this song precedes that era. And those things happen. This was the more hopeful and positive side of him. And that's what even makes me think Pac is more hopeful about the black community on his first two albums, on Tupacalypse Now and Strictly For My Niggas*, There's a lot of uplifting rhetoric and commentary. And even the songs that float around from that time that don't land on those albums, but land on soundtracks and unreleased stuff mm-hmm. and stuff on the above the rim soundtrack. Like, but there is something that takes place. And a lot of it is, you know, the shooting, and a lot of the stuff that was happening hip-hop-wise, where when Me Against the World was coming out, he's doing stuff like Death Around the Corner. It's like, well, he talked like that, but he didn't talk like that before. This is the more hopeful Tupac. This is early Tupac. I would say this was written in 1992,
1: 93 Okay. Now that was the last thing I wrote on this piece of paper, actually, is you think that this is a hopeful song.
0: It is, but also, too, it makes me hard to listen to sometimes because it's like, what would it be like if he was here? For black yeah. people and hip hop, so yeah, and stuff. I, 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 but how else hopeful, but somber, just like him. Hopeful but somber is how the song makes me feel, which is exactly who he was. He was hopeful, but he was very somber too. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, you want to know what I love? I love the different ways. You know, it's funny. Part of where this song connects is, is that well, Tupac is such a great writer that. He could, Because he wrote changes, and that's the way it is, Mm -hmm. and they were able to go connect it to your community. One thing that I've noticed, and even you just said it and you brought it up, and I guess this might be some foreshadowing. Oh, well, the guitar playing on the next song that we are about to discuss is what carries it. And can I say something that I think is funny, too? Yeah, for sure. Prince, more than Jimi Hendrix, changed the way Black people feel about the guitar that makes sense i literally said to myself when circumstances was playing i was like i would not enjoy this song if i was not a prince fan first okay you know because of the guitars because there's no real bass or line like that it's mostly mm-hmm. a guitar riff and i'm thinking like no but i can deal with it because of prince i can i hear it i i'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm um i'm familiar you know, yeah. I, this is I, this is I,
1: 1978. So it would have been like in the same kind of Prince. Right. Style, kind of time.
0: Style. That's what I mean. And it's like, well, I don't pull up and listen to Are You Experienced by Jimi Hendrix every day. But I play me some Sign of the Times and Purple mm-hmm. Rain in 1999 and controversy around the world in a day. And so the guitar playing on here is what struck me. I just thought about I just thought about what we're doing with this mm-hmm. uh, with this show to just kind of connect the dots. And I just thought about Prince's guitar playing. I was like, Prince's guitar playing is connecting a dot for me right now because I'm able to listen to songs and appreciate them and enjoy them on a level that I don't think I would if I didn't appreciate his genius as guitar playing so much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, because Because he's my barometer for those things. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, I want to hear how everybody stacks up against my guy playing the guitar. You feel me? It's yeah. like, I want to hear, like, no, 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 what's your best guitar riff? You got some Let's Go Crazy in there for me? You're going to switch it up three times like he did on Computer Blue? Oh, I want to hear those things out of guitar-driven songs now. And so the yeah. first thing that I noticed about this next song about the cover is the guitar, actually, yeah. which is funny coming from a hip-hop guy.
1: No, the guitar is the, is the thing that's in your face in, in this song. Um, not in all of their songs, but in this one. This is a, Rush is a... a I don't know them at
0: all. Yeah,
1: you don't you said you don't know them at all?
0: I've heard the name, but I'm not familiar okay, at all. Perfect. Uh, so
1: they're, they're a Canadian band, they're three piece. So all those sounds you're hearing are just from three people. The guy singing is also playing the bass at the same time. Um, which is if you if you can't the bass is in there, but they're they're not it's not quite so pyrotechnic, I guess. Um, but but the the three guys, Alex Lifeson, the guitarist, Getty Lee, who's the vocalist and bassist, and Neil Pert. The drummer um you could i told you this before but i don't know that i would make this argument but you probably you, you could reasonably make the argument that all three of them are the best at their instrument in the history of rock music like it's it's probably not true but like i think the the example that i gave you was like it would be like saying that you know big as the greatest rapper of all time. You may disagree with what I'm saying, but, but in the it's, it's not, it's, it's a reasonable argument, right? Reasonable
0: argument in the conversation, right? Yeah, so let's go back to who they are and what they play again or what their what the position is. Give me their names again.
1: Um, his the guitarist name is Alex Lifeson, um, and the bass player's name, Getty Lee. Um, Getty and Lee, the drummers, outside. I'm sorry,
0: have they done outside work of each other? Have they done like.
1: Not that I'm aware of, it okay. is absolutely possible, and I'm sure that that Rush fans will get in the comments and tell me because this is not my area of super super expertise. Um, okay. Like I learned about Rush when my my roommate in college was obsessed, like uh, with Ru- with the prog rock stuff, um, Rush and yes and Jethro Tull, um, that kind of stuff. Um, they are one of the most famous they call it prog rock progressive rock bands okay. um which is like really really long songs with movements and different pieces to them um that don't sound the same all the way through the you even heard in circumstances yes. like there's yes. like four or five different pieces yes oh, i it. love stuff like that um so it's it's multifaceted but like they have lots of songs um rush do that are like five movements and 20 25 minutes long. Like so this like
0: that's a little too much.
1: Yeah, but there I don't know. You you just have to listen. It, again, this is not a thing that I don't want to say I don't love and respect it, but like it's not something that I listen to like driving around or whatever. Um but yeah. I learned about it because my my roommate was uh like a jazz guitar major essentially. Um and you know, so he was playing this like all the time. Um and so the guitar in it is is pretty pretty incredible. Like, um, it is. there's some top-notch really stuff really going good. on. I'm gonna drop some in here. I, I have a former student actually who is a big Rush fan. He's in his 30s now, but asked him to play some of the riffs for me. So I'll drop them in here so mm-hmm. people can hear them because yeah, um, yeah. they're 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 pretty heavy. Um, The the guitarist and bass player. I mean, they are certainly among the greatest of of their of their um genre. Um, generally speaking, their drummer Neil Pert, who just passed away like in the last year, um is widely considered to be the best rock and roll drummer like by oh. by most people. like like it's not much of an argument. i should I'll put a picture of his drum kit up on the um up on the screen here.: So
0: they got the drummer.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, now I want to hear more. Yeah, not it's not to be funny. I am black. I am a hip hop guy. Well, that's based on the drums. Yep. I like drum work. Just fundamentally speaking, we're taught bass and drum. Yeah. Yep. That shit's real. Like like a lot of people, <clears throat> I feel like, and I'm just going to sidebar while you're doing that right quick. Yeah. Part of why Chappelle's show was so important to me is because he lets you know that a lot of the stereotypes that existed were stereotypes for a valid ass reason. Yeah. And you couldn't see look at the, look at that. Look at
1: that. Though. That's the drums he played, the drum kit he played on. Oh, yeah. It's like
0: a. That's a Sheila E drum set. Yeah, it's it's big, big time, yep. Yeah, yep. it's a big time drum set.
1: So um yeah, he's he's widely considered to be the best. Um the most, at least the most technically proficient drummer. Um, and oh. you can hear it in the song too. Like it's I, I looked up something like it's it changes time signature something like 70 times back and forth hmm. to different Rhythm. And you can hear it in the rhythms like a little bit. You don't even like even if you know nothing about time signatures, I know you do, but like if the listeners don't know anything about what that mm-hmm. means, um listen to song circumstances and listen to how often the the beat changes. Because it yeah. happens a lot. <laughs> and the song's so, about change, so it makes sense. But like
0: you you want to know, okay, so I'm gonna tell you who kind of taught me that via the hip hop way. Mm-hmm. The the RZA on shadow boxing. Okay. With Man in the Man and the Jizza, does it? He's, I was like, my cousin is the one that caught it first. It's like, no, he's having to switch up the beat in the time circumstance of it actually three mm-hmm. different times mm-hmm. to let them jump in seamlessly and effectively on the track. He said he's hiding it behind the scratches. When, mm-hmm. when it scratched is when he would switch the pattern. So yeah, and so that's how I learned that. You know what I mean? And so I didn't even mm-hmm. learn it musically. I learned it from the scratches of Rizzo on Shadowbox. Which you could cool. actually do that on a beat and manipulate shit out of people. <laughs> and, that's,
1: that's, and it's hard to do like it's i don't hard. think there are very many hip-hop songs that are not 4-4 i mean there are a few but like they're not not many um,
0: um the boundaries now are a little different but that was one of the things that i think that wu Tang clan kind of broke down when you actually go back and listen to that stuff it has um he just bended a lot of structures yeah he a lot of structures they've a lot of bar styles and frameworks he extended a lot of loops. He chopped a lot of shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, did, he did a whole lot. So I think a lot of the innovation of what happens beyond the bar style comes from the innovation of those artists and him wanting to get the best out of those artists. It's like you might hear a Wu Tang Clan song where it's like, well, you hear one guy for six bars and then hear another guy for nine and then another guy will go for thirty-two and you're like, hold on, let me. Do you're like, hold on, how does that <laughs> add up exactly? And, yeah. and and then you're like, hold on, that doesn't add up the math, but the timing of it is right, and that's when you learn about
1: right and they did that a lot right yeah the i would say though that like like my friend who i have lost touch with like my roommate in college he is he's a he's a non-internet person so he he's kind of disappeared into the ether um but hi john if you're watching this um but i would say that people who like rush like love 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 them like this is like it like an obsession i don't want to, to make it like a dungeons and dragons thing because it's but you do see those two things track along with each other sometimes um but but it's, it's it's an obsession and and i don't mean that don't fight me guys but like it's i don't mean that as a bad thing it just is a thing that they really like love like um if you also don't love them like you're you're you know, like stupid and uncultured and i'm probably going to internet fight you kind of way um much like um Beyonce or Taylor Swift's fans. Um what I'm sure they would love to be compared to.
0: Them. <laughs> but, I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you the first thing that I realized when you started this stuff. Now my daughter is taking French, you know, in high school mm-hmm. she just finished her first year in French. And so when you told me that they came from Canada, I was like, "Well, that explains the French in the hook." You see how we start connecting all yep. the dots people? That's yep. the first thing that I noticed. Yep. I was like, "Oh, cuz I was going to ask They're you, from
1: Toronto, yeah.
0: OK, so original thought was like, man, these are pretty, it's pretty cool French band, because yeah. when I'm listening to the hook, I am I'm listening to the verbiage, the Lassay, mm-hmm. like my, my daughter was Sabon and, and all these other Lassay yeah. in, in the feminine. Uh, right. She's like, you know, they use the feminine uh, in, in French more than any other like love language. And Say is like one of those frequently used. And so when they were using that on the hook, I was immediately thinking that this was a European band. And then you're like, they're from Canada. I'm like, well, same difference.
1: (laughs) No, for those of you who haven't heard the song, you should go down and click on the link down below. I'll I'll put the link to the song there. But um, part of the hook is, plus I change, plus c'est la même chose. Like it's... And then he translates to the next two lines. The more that things change, the more they say the same.
0: Now here's now here's another thing too that I realized. And you just bought this up. I was actually, you just answered it for me. I'm like, well, where in Canada are they from? Because I'm gonna tell you what, this writing style mm-hmm. and this verbiage. It's very dark, and it's very dense, actually. It is, just, yeah. It is really a dark song. <laughs> you're just getting lost in it to it because of them happy-ass guitarists playing. It's wonderful guitar playing. Mm-hmm. It's like almost the guitarist tre- tricking you from the dense nature of the lyrics, and it's dark in a sense. It's like, this is what I mean. Toronto, hip-hop-wise, Drake is from Toronto, right? Right. A lot of his early stuff is Wu-Tang-inspired. Okay. Dark. Mm-hmm. gritty so toronto has a dark and a gritty feel and that's why i was about to ask i was like well these motherfuckers can't be from vancouver because i've been through vancouver vancouver is like. nice <laughs> I didn't want to say it like that but yes no, it is it.
1: like and and, and toronto's this... gotten is, is like an east coast city like, like yeah
0: toronto's like an east coast city and toronto has some parts to it that are very dark and very dense i believe uh i believe the weekend is from there too mm-hmm. and so when I got the verbiage, I was like, in the Canadian thing and all that, that literally just rushed to my mind as you were saying that. I was like, well, that explains the French and that explains the dark, dense verbiage. They're from Toronto. That's the French and that's the dark and the dense. Yeah. Because they also, too, culturally, they like music like that. That's why I mean mm-hmm. Drake bringing up the Drake is a Wu-Tang fan. It's like, think about that. Drake is a big Wu-Tang fan.
1: Yeah. Yeah, those are not me- two names that you would normally think of, right? Being but, like but, yeah. but
0: where he comes from, that's how they roll. Toronto has a Toronto used to have this guy, Cardinal. Official he used to be uh, pretty big on the underground scene. Mm-hmm. It was like making waves here, and people have to understand Toronto's not, you know, Toronto's probably close to New York City than we are in travel time. You feel me? Yep. That's one of those things too. But that was just some of the that, that was just some epiphanies I was having when you were just telling me about where they were from. So but we can go ahead and get into a little bit more.
1: Like the lyrical content also is similar-ish to Tupac's. Like the, the when mm-hmm. you're talking about change, like that's like he says the walls that still surround me still contain the same old me, just one more who's searching for a world that ought to be like that's not miles away from what Tupac is saying either. No,
0: it's very comparable. Actually, the start offs to these songs are very comparable if you remove the racist contextualization of them, actually. The circumstances that are being expressed on the song circumstances Mm -hmm. are comparable to what's being expressed on changes if you take the racial connotation out of it. But that's also the thing about it, about being a black man in America. Well, how can we remove the racial connotation? You
1: can't. You can't. You can't. That's part of it, right?
0: It's part of it. And so they're speaking to what they know as much as they can, because what the fuck do they really know about racism? They're white men growing up in Toronto.
1: Yeah, but they're. I mean, they're... Immigrant too. I mean, at least the Alex Leipzig, I don't know what his real name is. It's, it's Russian or something like that. Don't. I'm. I'm. Well, it's one of those changed names. Racism aside, they would be like, like Irish or Italians growing up in New York. It's like that working class, or like Oasis in Manchester. I mean, it's like yeah. that kind of working class. Uh, um, yeah. understood. Like, um. The, the, Alexander they're, they're, Zivo, they're I'm sorry guys. Uh, um you will have to tell me how to pronounce it in the comments. But but yeah that sounds um like Serbian Czech that kind of name. Polish. Polish maybe?
0: Sounds no sounds Czechy more than Polish. I got I got I got a Czechy friend and, and, and her yeah. last name is is comparable to that. Yeah. And she hates when I used to call her Czechy. <laughs> um she does. She used to laugh, be like, don't call me Czechia, I'm I'm only letting you get away with it because you're black. (laughs) True story. True story. Um, No, you said something strong right there, because, you know, this is one of the reasons why we need to do this, too. It's like, oh, their white privilege might just be that they're white and nothing else. You can have it just as hard. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, I mean, people have to understand white privilege exists because of the whiteness, not because of the finances.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, right. and, and, and I'm just, not in any way suggesting that they're that not that privileged, point. but like, right. just...
0: I kind of wanted to make that point because a black man, like speaking about white privilege, it's like, I don't ever want it to come off that I'm just speaking about, oh, well, they're white, so they had it made. It's like, no, no. that's not true. That's
1: no, true. no, they just didn't have that particular right. circumstance. <laughs> they, right. But they well, probably I mean, had lots of others.
0: Well, you know what I thought was really funky, too, because you know, when I pulled these songs up, obviously I'm pulling them up, and it's, you know, you know how the world works now with our digital downloads and stuff. it pulls up the album covers. Mm-hmm. And so. When I saw the album cover, and for those of you, <laughs> you don't know,
1: it's like guys walking on a brain. Basically,
0: it's a naked man standing on the right side of the brain.
1: and the, the album's called Hemispheres, as in hemispheres of the
0: <laughs> right. And the, I think, yeah, and there's like, and it's he's walking on, and it, and but there's a guy with glasses from a distance mm-hmm. looking, and so when you put that with the words for somebody that's not familiar with the band, I'm like, oh, I'm like these guys are interesting.
1: Yeah, they're you weird. you like,
0: dudes. I mean. I immediately lyrically became, speaking yeah well no i immediately became fascinated because it's like oh well they're artistic apparently mm-hmm. they're obviously not afraid to push the boundaries because they have a naked ass man sitting on their album cover in the 1970s for those of you who
1: haven't seen it before it's like a little bitty it's not like
0: yeah, it's not no big naked dude but it's like you see the naked body and then you realize it's like that's a man and he's standing on somebody's brain walking apparently and they even, it, and it's very well done you can tell an artist actually did yeah. it And then you actually are playing the song and you're listening to the lyrics and then they're mixing some of the French in. And it's like, well, no, I'm not going to go off this one song and say this is the type of band that you rave over. But usually when bands do funky shit like that and put it together, they get usually big fandoms. And so I can see some of the fandom that you're speaking to and it might be cultish, but I can see the fandom just from artistically how they put it together, the writing style, the musicality of the guitar playing is there. So think about it. They're artistic. Well written, musicality is there. It's a great song. Check, 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 checky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I enjoyed it. No, this is this was a pretty dope song.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's for those of you, you again. You need to listen to it. Not you, but like the people who are listening to this who haven't heard the song well, should go listen well, to it. It's...
0: Well, I can relate to this. So listen to. Hold on, is this where it starts off? Because I, I just pulled it up because I want to make sure I could read it too because I didn't know these words were word for real. Listen to this. I can relate to this. Like, this doesn't sound too far. Andrew, this isn't too far from the whole right up the street from West Charlotte where we went to school. A boy alone. So far from home. Endless rooftops from my window. I left the gloom of empty rooms on rainy afternoons. Sometimes in confusion, I felt so lost and disillusioned. Innocence gave me confidence to go up against reality. I mean, I can tell you that that's my life story in high school. You Mm -hmm. know that.
1: Yeah, and, and it's it's not
0: that's, like again, again. That's says, that's an
1: example of something that touches lots of people from lots of different no, places, right?
0: That's what I mean about this. Was actually the perfect song. If Tupac says that, it lives in my mind forever. You oh, cool. What I'm
1: saying? I, I do see what you're saying. Yeah,
0: if Tupac says that, it lives in my mind forever. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's probably still gonna live in my mind because we're doing this show, right? And I have reference point now. But as an arbitrary listener, like when we're putting things together, this is one of the few songs where, not to be funny, where we're the depth and the reality of an artist that we're covering on your side, I can actually say to you, it's like, no, nah, one of my best guys on my side would say that. That's how good the writing is, good. but that's how real the writing is. Like, Because nice. even with, <clears throat> not to be funny, even with Joni and even with Janice, It's sometimes a little too artsy and not real enough. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you can take the metaphor too far and lose people that are stuck in a struggle that you don't know about. Okay. And some of the music has a lot of feministic qualities to it, and it should because women need that shit. Mm -hmm. You feel me? She's Canadian too. (laughs) But
1: anyway, carry on.
0: Perfect sense. (laughs) But something like this is relatable. Oh, to a black kid from the projects. You know what I'm saying? Like the actual words being used and the situation Mm -hmm. being described is actually relatable to a black kid from the projects. The songwriting on this is intrinsically higher to me because of that cross appeal. And so that's why I'm bringing up Joni and Janice is like, Mm -hmm. no, that's where I'm putting this type of songwriting because it transfers in a way that even their stuff doesn't. Uh, But a lot of that is due to the feministic nature because, well, they're not they're not trying to make shit for the streets. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, right, exactly. That's not the purpose of that. And this has some savage guitar in it too. Like again, I'll, oh, yeah. like, I'll play some no. of it for you, but like it, like well, I'll cut it back in. But like it's, it's heavier. No, not no, like Metallica but it, heavier, but or Black Sabbath heavier. But like it is,
0: it's not heavy metal. It, but it's very. Um, like I said, it made me think when I was hearing stuff like this. It's like, oh, well, give me like I, I bought up "Let's Go Crazy" and "Computer Blue" for mm-hmm. a reason because those are pretty. Those are rock guitar riffs. Yep. That's rock and roll that he's playing on yeah. those songs. That's mm-hmm. not an R&B fused version. Because he, how about this? Like Raspberry Beret is like an R&B fused yeah. version.
1: And Prince obviously like, can play everything. Like it's He not... it can play
0: everything. I'm just giving some examples. It's yeah. like I bought a Let's Go Crazy for a reason. I don't know. That's some rock and roll ass guitar playing going on. Mm-hmm. This song is that. That's why I was bringing it up. Like because that's how I have to compare. It.
1: Right. Sure. You know? Right. And, but other people who are listening to it who are coming here from according to hip hop or whatever, who are coming to check this out too, are going to have many probably of the same checkpoints too. Like, yeah. So, no, the, and I don't want them to go listen to this too. Like, this is no, the, again, this is bro, not my most favorite music in the world, but like, it's incredibly skillful and it's, it's no, pretty cool you, stuff.
0: You want to know, and I'm about to make a note of it right now because I think this is important. Like, this is one of those songs. Like remind me on Wednesday, because you know, like like Mike, when we do the show, it's like he always asks me, like you know, like, mm-hmm. what's up, got going on. I want to bring up to our audience that I want our audience to listen. I'm gonna bring up this show and how we compare Tupac's changes to Russia's circumstances, and I want some of the according to hip hop listeners to go listen to Russia's circumstances and tell me yeah. if they feel like I'm gonna bring up the whole Tupac comment, because I feel like Tupac, like it has some Tupac writing qualities too, and I yeah, want to see it does. I mean. No, I want to see what the audience thinks about it because I think this is the best hip-hop pairing writing-wise that I can take back to the important hip-hop audience. It's like, you hear this shit? Like, you hear these bars? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I never really, until we had this conversation, never really had the same amount of respect for Russia's like, writing. Like, like the like the lyrical content. Um, I, I just love the the guitars and the music. And, like, like it, it just sounds good.
0: Oh, it's but, there.
1: But, but then... Um, and, and that's one of the great parts about the show. Is like I can hear it again for the first time through somebody else's eyes, and it's it's a really cool. Thing.
0: Okay, well, well, listen, listen to this. That's the all the same time we take our chances, laugh at by the time, tricked by circumstances. No, those are bars. They bar.
1: and and they're they're Tupac bars. Like they're exactly yeah, it's just, the same I mean, thing,
0: right? Yeah. No, this is great writing. This is great stuff they're doing on a grip on a great guitar. Like that's what I mean. And then I looked at the artwork. It's like no. I'm going to go listen to some more of their stuff. And they're not too far. They're from Toronto. It's going to mm-hmm. be interesting. I wonder why Drake hasn't used these guys. How I old know. are
1: they? Who knows? They are. I mean, they they're kid, older.
0: That, how old did they dropped this in 78. When did their career start? 70, probably? 69? Yeah. No, they yeah. started.
1: like, The first album was like mid 70s, yeah. Yeah,
0: everybody, so, everybody we grew up on kind of started somewhere between like 68 and 74. So. Yeah. 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 I'm legitimately in my robe today. Like sometimes I'm putting <laughs> my robe on because I came down here, but it was a long weekend. Getting, uh, getting Shadé ready for school uh, and yep. running around with her and getting her to and from work, going to and from work, and just the whole school thing. And so, and then having the plumber come over today, and then having the other technician come over today to fix the door. So I've like already had like a pretty full day. Yep. Probably when we're done with this. Going to go slide right back into the bed for a little bit. Yeah.
1: I yeah. put on a clean shirt. I, I I dumped pasta on myself before I came over
0: here. So now school, school started down here in good old Marietta, Georgia, suburb of Atlanta today. When does school start up in Charlotte?
1: Um they so, at, least, in, at least in my district, which is got right. which is west of Charlotte. Um yeah. the kids start the 17th. So a week and a half, two weeks, something like
0: that. Yeah. That's my aunt's birthday, my aunt Sonia's birthday. I can actually um Remember, uh, didn't it feel like when we were younger we started school around August 24th, somewhere yeah. between the 17th and, and we've started school
1: August 24th or thereabout between the 24th and 27th. Th- this is my 20th year teaching. Uh, it makes me sound old, I know. Sorry. No,
0: congrats. But, no, congrats. But, but this is
1: this is 20. Um, and all the ones in like this area of the world, I, mean, I started earlier like when I taught up in the mountains, but um this area of the world we've always started. August 20 something. Um, and this year, the reason, at least our count, I don't think Charlotte starts until the 25th or so. I think they're a week oh. after us. But the reason we're starting earlier is we got, we and most of the other districts around here got special permission from the state to start a week earlier. So this, it doesn't matter for middle schools or elementary schools, but for high schools, the semester now is going to break at Christmas instead of like what it's been doing, which is like two weeks after Christmas or something like that. And like you get off (laughs) for two or three weeks and then you come back to school and then you have like a week of review and then exams, which is kind of dumb. So, so we're, we're doing exams before Christmas, which is, um, and last year we did that too, but we started later. So, it, the first semester, this is more information than these people need to know. I'll probably cut it out. But um, we started um, started like the 25th and ended before Christmas or the semester before Christmas. And, but the first semester was like 75 days. And then the second semester was like 112 or something like that. See, and it was just didn't work out well.
0: Right. You see, but these diatribes are great when they're live because then people chime in about where they're from and how kind of school works right. for them kind of changes things that's why it's like well i want people to like and subscribe so we can go live because the nuance of what you're saying isn't lost on any parent and i think our demo yeah. is probably more geared towards people who, probably who are have, our
1: age-ish yeah
0: yeah who have kids yeah. that are in school and can understand and can relate and, and know the things that we're talking about so you know yeah for we sure. get to the music that's always fun <laughs>
1: yeah i don't know i might leave that in there but like it's yeah yeah, yeah. or I yeah. might might cut it out and make it like a separate thing or something i don't know cool 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 we'll see